Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School for today, Sunday, July 22nd of 2012. Nice to be with you today. Our topic is the nature of evil, and I notice as I look on the uh, live page today, we have more than the usual number of people listening both on the telephone and by web feed. And I'm not surprised since you're probably expecting that I've tied my topic for the day today, the nature of evil, to the horrible tragedy in Aurora, Colorado earlier this week or this past week. And you're right. It is, I think, an auspicious time for us to deal with the very nature of evil. What is evil? I mean, I could, I suppose, talk about why somebody would do something like this, but of course that would be largely speculation. We don't really know what got into this guy's head. We do know that he was studying mental disorders and was quite a a good student, a scholar, and an honor student, uh, a scientist really working on a PhD, perhaps you heard this, in neuroscience. He was studying disorders of the brain, and uh, it reminded me of so many of uh, the people I knew in college who were studying psychology, and they tended to be some of the most messed up uh, emotionally speaking, of uh, all the people I knew. They were studying psychology to try to figure themselves out. One could presume that this guy was doing the same thing, studying the brain and trying to figure out what was wrong with him. So I guess I do have uh, some compassion. He certainly, uh, I read this morning, is in solitary confinement because there are rumblings among the other prisoners about killing him. Uh, Anytime a criminal shoots children, other criminals cop an attitude. They may may be murderers too, but when you shoot uh, indiscriminately women and children, even uh, a hardened criminal sees that as particularly evil. So... This guy's in solitary confinement today. But what are we talking about when we discuss evil? You know, I always thought it was more than a coincidence that the word devil and the word evil were only one letter apart, in the same way that good is just one more letter than God. So, We tend to personify goodness as this divinity or this divine being, generally known in English as God, good, God. And in the same way, we personify evil as the devil, the devil. And yet, does that really serve us? This whole idea of personifying God as a being— of a giant man on a cloud, not Jesus, mind you, but the father aspect. I guess we see it in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, that idea of a 
an old man, a white guy, of course, with a long beard, reaching out from some very far away remote place to create its separated creation filled with all of these separated forms, it prevents us from having a more metaphysical or mystical view of God or divinity, not as a form, but as an energy or a spirit that is in all things. Well, we have a similar problem when we personify evil as a devil and dress him up in a little red outfit with a pitchfork. You know, in many ways, the devil is modeled after Pan, who was a Greco-Roman god that represented a love of the material world. Pan was that little uh, goat-headed guy with the uh, flute, right? Half goat, half man. And... uh, He would uh, play his flute and dance around, especially in the springtime. So a pantheist is basically the technical theological term for a pagan, for somebody that sees divinity in nature. And the church, particularly beginning with Christianity, the Catholic Church so-called, and later the Protestant or Protestant Church in the West— sees pantheism as particularly anti-Christian and even anti-Old Testament or anti-Jewish, although that's really not true. But this idea that the pantheist degrades or demeans God by seeing divinity in nature, because then God is in the snake. And the snake doesn't represent the devil. You see, God is in the snail and the slug uh, and and all the lower life forms, as well as in the flowers and the trees and and the wind and the sky and the clouds and the sea, as well as in each one of us, even bad people. And theological, uh, theologically speaking, This was a great challenge for uh, the Catholic and later Protestant churches. So pantheism is sometimes even equated with evil for this degradation. Uh, Christians want a very regal and royal sense of divinity that stands above may embrace to some extent, but nevertheless ultimately stands above its creation. Theologically, you have some challenges to address if you equate the creator to its creation and the creatures of the creation. Creator, creation, creatures. It's good to put that together and consider the root derivation of those words. So usually creator would be capitalized, but creation or creatures would not. And I'm not going to dwell upon the point, but there have been attempts by the church in the last 2,000 years, particularly in the West, to create this separation. I mean, even Pythagoras 
in the 4th century BC suggested that the number two was evil because it was not the number one. Obviously, God is the one, so number two, anything that is not God would be evil. So this sets up the idea that the creation is evil, the creator creates evil, or at the very least tolerates it, and Christianity, by personifying evil as Satan, the devil, or even defining Satan as Lucifer, a fallen angel, all of this is fairly recent theology. It doesn't go back more than a couple hundred years. Christ, of course, talked about the devil, but Jews in ancient times and even most schools of Judaism today do not personify evil, do not see evil as an individual or suggest that there is a devil or Satan. And the idea that this fallen angel Lucifer is Satan or the devil, again, is fairly new to Christianity, recent Christianity. But do you see that What this creates is a difficulty with divinity as a personified being. God is a man on a cloud, a giant man, but very far away, engaged in this grand cosmic struggle with an evil that either God created or allows to exist. And this is perplexing and confusing to many Christians and others. This is also true in Islam. And uh, though, as I say, not so much in Judaism. And the Eastern concept of evil is very different, as I'm about to explain. Eastern philosophy, evil is seen more the way the old Jews saw evil in contemporary schools of Judaism as well. Uh, tend to see it, although, again, there's a lot of confusion given that we have this Judeo-Christian tradition of personifying good and evil and creating this grand struggle. But in terms of Eastern philosophy and mysticism in general, the metaphysical view, if you will, of the struggle between good and evil portrays evil as the absence of good, but not an opposing force. Now, I'm going to go into this in depth in the premium training that follows in about 15 minutes. So I hope you can make it for that and enroll if you haven't enrolled. But here for the free forum and the podcast, I want to make it really clear. This is the central dilemma. Is good and evil a struggle between God and the devil, this grand cosmic scheme where for some reason God either creates evil or allows evil and is engaged in a battle with Satan and Lucifer? Or are we talking about what essentially is an internal struggle between our inherent goodness and our temptation to be bad. You see, in which case evil is not an opposing force, but the absence of good. This is the cornerstone 
of today's class. And philosophers have struggled with this and wrangled with this for thousands of years. And all I can say to you is as we discuss it here today, I want you to trust your own feelings and your own intuition about what makes more sense. Why would God create the devil and then engage in some sort of competition with this opposing force? Or is it more that good and evil is an internal struggle that each of us has to deal with? And maybe the best way to understand evil is not as an opposing force, but the absence of goodness. In this way, philosophers and theologians, metaphysicians and mystics have, as I say, for thousands of years, drawn largely upon the allegory of light and shadow. Light we understand even better than we did thousands of years ago when it was pretty much a matter of appearance. Now we have some pretty good science about the nature of light, although it's still very mysterious in many ways. Light sometimes acts like matter. There are these photon packets, so sometimes it's energy, sometimes it's matter, it's sort of a curious condition that, like gravity itself, we really aren't even sure what light exactly is. But even if, for the purposes of this webinar, we simply limit ourselves to the appearance of light and shadow, we can see that light has to have a source. Light needs to come from someplace, either a star like our own sun or some artificial form of lighting, like a candle or a fire or a lamp. But it's got to have a source. It also radiates or emanates, projects itself at a particular speed. We now, in contemporary times, know the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. It's pretty quick. Light coming from the sun takes about nine minutes to get to the earth from the sun. And you probably are aware that the grand distances in space are often described in terms of light years, the amount of time that it takes light to travel through the cosmos, through the universe. And we can, by using our most sophisticated telescopes now, look almost to the very edge of the universe, or what appears to be the edge of the universe. And in so doing, look back in time, hundreds of millions of years, because that's how long it took that light to get here, right? So you look at uh, light, let's say, simply from a star that is oh, let's say six light years away, that light is six years old when it gets here. So if you could see anything in it, it would be looking into the past six years ago. Well, then if you look at light from the edge of the universe, that's uh, 800 million uh, light years away, you're looking at light that's 800 
million years old. That's how long it took the light to get here. Darkness doesn't do that. Shadow doesn't have a source, and it doesn't project itself. Shadow is real, don't you see? Darkness is very real. Ever been way out in the countryside at night, and there's a million stars up above, but you can't hardly even, unless there's a moon, you can't even see your hand in front of your face because your eyes, of course, are looking at what? Light, either direct light or light that's reflected. No light, you don't see. There's nothing to see. So you have a sense of darkness as if it were a quantity. It's definitely a quality, but it's not a material thing, and it's not an energy. Light is either energy or matter or both, But darkness is the absence of light. In this sense, darkness does not oppose light. And this is very important in attempting to understand the relationship of evil to good. If evil is the absence of goodness, if the devil is a personification of evil, then the devil has no power whatsoever. Now, a religious fundamentalist would absolutely freak out and jump up and down and shout and pull his hair out if you said that, because much of their religion is based on this externalized idea of God battling with evil, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, And you have to make a choice and take God's side to help defeat this opposing force. Now, that guy in that movie theater in Aurora certainly looked like an embodiment of evil. And he certainly was a power or a force for evil, shooting randomly, killing people, shooting babies and little children in the back. By the way, I don't think most Americans realize this happens at least once a month in the United States alone. On average, there are 20 mass shootings per year in the land of the free and the home of the brave. This is the price we pay for allowing the Second Amendment, which is about the establishment and maintenance of a militia to defend the country at a time when people wrote with feathers, right? Allowing that to include assault weapons. I mean, these bullets were passing through two or three people at a time. These bullets were going through the wall and injuring people in adjacent theaters. These bullets were shot out of a hundred-round drum, Who needs a hundred rounds and very large caliber bullets in an assault weapon to go hunting? I mean, this is not about hunting. And we have a National Guard. I'm not sure that anybody wants to take away everybody's rifles and shotguns, but 
my God, the ability to buy thousands of rounds of ammunition on the Internet, to be able to go into bass sporting goods and buy an assault rifle. Colorado has no registration of weapons, no background checks. It's just insane. It's just absolutely crazy. Something's got to be done, and yet it's politically toxic. I will be amazed if President Obama or any Democrat says anything about the need for gun control, even in the wake of this. Thousands of people are killed by guns every year, and it is evil. There's no question about it. It's likely that this fellow in Colorado was motivated by some sort of insanity. I understand that from late reports, uh, news reports I read this morning, that he's still being irrational, that whatever kind of a trip he was on, he's over the edge. Um, Maybe his defense is leaking this information and trying to set up some sort of insanity defense. But we have thousands and thousands of homicides in the United States that are the result of anger and passion and the inability or unwillingness of people to learn to control their emotions. So that's really a another webinar for another day. I don't really do politics in the mystery school, and I'm not here today to promote gun control. We're here talking about the way in which evil can manifest in the world. And it might be difficult to see evil as the absence of good or the absence of anything when so much force is used in an incident like what happened in Colorado a few days ago. But that's the way I'd like you to begin to consider it, that evil is not an opposing force and perhaps should not even be personified except metaphorically speaking, that we need to think of evil as an internal absence of goodness. And what it comes down to is love and fear. Fear resists love and understanding. Fear is born of ignorance and breeds ignorance. And it was Socrates quoting ancient Egyptian philosophers, hermetic philosophers, who said, evil is fear. Fear is evil. All evil is fear and ignorance. Fear and ignorance is a vicious cycle. That's what evil is. It's what you do not know and what frightens you. And what frightens you confuses you. And what confuses you frightens you. And that's what evil is. It's the absence of goodness. It's the temptation to be selfish. That's the bottom line. We even see this politically now, this proposal that conservative means personal responsibility, and that means only self-interest, self-interest that is not balanced by a sense of community interest. And self-interest, as far as it goes, can be a good thing, self-preservation. But when it turns into greed and avarice and a desire to 
be uh, violent with other people, this is really where we have to begin to call it evil, even though my proposal here today is that we begin to think of it not as an opposing force, but really the absence of goodness, fear, and the temptation to be too self-centered and fail to recognize that you are that and that. You are your neighbor. You're all connected by love. There is really only one thing at work in the world. To ignore and deny the oneness of all things is ignorance. It generates fear, and that's the source of evil. That's our proposition today, and I hope you can join us for the premium training in just a couple of minutes, and we'll take a little time to reflect on that. I've talked to myself out of time, so I can't do a visualization with you now, but take a breath, close your eyes, relax, and work through this idea that perhaps evil is not an external force that opposes good, but is an internal temptation to be selfish, born of the ego and its attempt to survive in a world where things appear to be separated and materially indeed are separated, but in a spiritual sense, in terms of energy, really are part of one thing, one grand spiritual thing. The debate continues, and I hope you'll be able to join us for the premium training as we get into this in depth. And thanks very much for being here today, whether live or by podcast. Be gentle, love life, and care for each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui, Hawaii.